Turn your Bibles this morning to the book of Ephesians chapter 6. I know it's been, a, I think, a week, maybe two weeks since we've been on this um, been on this study, and uh, I want to get back to my spiritual warfare. We've been, there you go, Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to read, let's just read verse 17. <clears throat> I've went over this, these verses so much with you, you ought to have them memorized by now. If you're there, say amen. If you ain't there, tell me to hold on. Here we go. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. You may be seated. Over the last several weeks, we've been talking about this great battle that takes place inside of each and every one of us. It's an invisible battle. It's a battle that you don't actually physically see. It's a battle that takes place right here. It's a battle that is on the line and it wages for your soul is what it wages for. In the beginning, before the foundations of the uh, world, I suppose it was before the foundations of the world. I don't actually know the timeline when this took place. But I do know that the Bible teaches us that a great battle took place whenever Lucifer, the great, beautiful, wise angel that God had created, the top angel, the leader of worship in heaven, when he decided that he would exalt his throne above the throne of God Almighty and that he will be the Most High. And when he made that decision, he was cast out and he drew a third of the angels or a third of, of the angels as followers with him. And he was cast down and now he goes to and fro trying his best, still trying to be the most high, still trying to gain followers, still trying to keep people from turning to God because he wants to be God. So there's a battle that's raging. And God is fighting for us on one side and Lucifer or Satan as you know him is fighting for us on the other side and this battle is raging inside of each and every one of us especially as Christians. God gives us some armor. Paul tells us that if we're going to stand in this battle that if we're going to continue fighting against him that if we're going to continue even just standing up in the midst of this battle, we're going to have to have some weapons and armor of warfare that only God can provide because this is not a battle against flesh and blood. This is a battle against spiritual powers of darkness, the spiritual forces of wickedness. And you can't fight spiritual forces of wickedness with fleshly guns and, and pieces of fleshly armor. You have to fight them with spiritual weapons and spiritual armor and Paul gives us several and today I want to talk to you about the sword of the spirit which is what? The Bible or also known as the word of God. The actual word of God almighty that has been pinned on paper for you and I to be inspired by it and he said here that the he calls it the sword of the Spirit. He don't call it the Bible. He calls it the sword of the Spirit. So I had to ask the question. What is Paul trying to get across to us here? What do we have in this word of God, in this Bible, 
that actually will cause us to be able to continue to stand in the midst of this great war that is going on. Well, think about it like this. Swords are weapons that were used to fight battles. Whenever you read back into the Bible and in older times, they didn't have guns. The sword was the main weapon that they used in the battle. They only had one purpose. And what do you think the purpose of the sword was? Injury or better suited wasn't just injure. Let me ask you this. Whenever Peter swung in the garden at the, um, at the soldier and he cut his ear off, was he aiming at his ear? What was he aiming at? Peter missed. The only reason the sword didn't kill is because Peter missed. Swords had one purpose and their purpose was to kill. Whenever Joab and uh, Abner, the leaders of the King Saul and the leader of, of King David's army, when they came together to battle, the very first thing they said was, let our strongest young men arise and come together at this pool and battle together. And if you'll picture it in your head, they had 12 men of King Saul's side and 12 men of King David's side that come and stood face to face in front of each other. And the Bible says that they all drew their swords at the same time. They grabbed their opponent by the head and they threw thrust their swords in each other together and all of them fell slain that day together by what? The sword. The sword devoured. And then a great battle took place and uh, D David's army pursued Saul's army to this hilltop and the captain of Saul's army, Abner, turned around and looked at the captain of David's army, Abner, and he looked at him, and he, or Joab, he looked at him and he said, Abner, shall the sword devour forever? Basically, what is he saying? The purpose of the sword is to devour. Whenever David was giving a, um, a speech or a, a song or a, a lamentation about the death of Saul and Jonathan, he actually spoke in there that the sword of Saul always got its fill of blood and flesh. In other words, the sword, he said, had an appetite for death. It had an appetite to kill. That's what its purpose was. In Acts chapter 12 verse 2, uh, Bex got it so you don't have to turn there. But in Acts chapter 12 verse 2, look what King Herod did. Then he killed James the brother of John with what? The sword. Its purpose was to what? Kill. If you look at Hebrews chapter 11 verse 37. They were stoned. They were sown in two. Were tempted and they were slain with what? The sword. In other words, the sword's purpose, according to the Bible, the reason they carried this thing, it served to kill something. So when Paul says to me that the word of God or the sword of the Spirit is a weapon or a tool for us, then basically here's what I Paul saying. Here's what I hear Paul saying. Here is a weapon that is made for you to kill something. The Word of God, the sword of the Spirit is given to you so that you can put something to death. It serves that single purpose. It brings about something, it brings forth death inside of each and every one of us. At the same time, it also creates new life. But in this situation, he's talking about killing something. So what are we killing? Look at Romans chapter 8 verse 13. I've only got a few scriptures we'll cover this morning. Romans chapter 8 verse 13. 
It says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the what? The Spirit, you do what? Put to death the deeds of the body, then you will live. So what are we putting to death? The flesh, the things that are, that are enemies of God. We are putting to death our ways and our desires and our wants and we are leaning toward God's ways and His desires and His wants. He says here that if we live according, if we live and we don't put to death our flesh, what will happen to us? We will die. But if by the what? The Spirit we put to death the deeds of the body, then we will live. Well, what is the Spirit's tool that puts uh, these of the body to death, according to the Bible? The Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. Now, that ought to be very important to you right now, but I promise you, if you'll keep hanging with me as we go through this message, it's going to get very important to you. Stay with me. How does the Word of God or the sword of the Spirit help us in killing the flesh? Number one, it gives us daily triumph over sin. How many of you are sick and tired of every day repeating your same things over and over again? I, I'm sick of it. I'm ready to put this thing to death. I'm ready to start walking in what God wants me to walk in. Well, guess what? The tool for it is the Word of God. The sword of the spirit. There is a power here that we have yet to experience even a piece of it. If I were to, um, now baby if I do something don't get mad at me, okay? How much money we got in the bank? We got, we got, to know, we got a lot of money but we ain't, got no, we ain't doing too good. Let's, let's suppose that I, I were thinking about offering everybody in the building this morning $100 per Bible verse that you could remember by next Sunday. I said I'm thinking about it, all right? Now, don't take me up on it yet, all right? I'm thinking about it. $100 per Bible verse that you could remember by next Sunday. How much time are you willing to spend in the Word of God this week? $100 per verse. I think some of you take a week vacation from work just to study the Bible. Oh, man. Y'all Sunday school teachers be so proud of y'all. Took vacation to study the Bible. You know, it's funny. Money is a great motivator for us, ain't it? But the Word of God has just told us that we can put to death our deeds of our body and live toward God Almighty with the same two. Which is more valuable, money or living for God? Well, that's what we say. We say that. It's easy to say that living for God is more valuable. But what do our actions actually prove? Money is more valuable to the majority of us. And God knows that. God knows that this is the sinful nature that we have, but He also knows that we've got to destroy that nature. We've got to see God for the value that He is. And when we see Him, the Bible says that the kingdom of heaven is like a man who found a treasure in a field and he went and buried that treasure. 
And then for the joy of it, he went and sold everything that he owned just so he could buy that field and have that treasure. In other words, everything he owned, all the money in the world, was not enough to be greater valued than that treasure. And that's the way the kingdom of God is like. When we see it for what it's worth, there is nothing that holds greater value than the kingdom of heaven and living for God. It gives us daily triumph over sin. Look at Psalm chapter 119, verses 9 through 16. And Beck's going to have it, but I would like for you to turn, it, turn your Bibles there if, you, if you've got your Bibles with you this morning. If you don't have your Bibles with you this morning, this may be an uncomfortable sermon for you. <laughs> but that's all right. I ain't always carried my Bible to church neither, so I ain't, I ain't getting down on you. I just want to show you how important this word is this morning. Psalm chapter 119, verses 9 through 16. The very first question of verse 9. What is it? That's a very good question, ain't it, Carson? How can I keep my way pure? How can I walk a daily walk, day after day, and triumph over sin in my life? How is, is that even possible, Nick? Is it even possible for me to live a day and, and stay pure? Yes. Yes, it is. You want me to prove it to you? The Word of God actually says that if you um, walk in the Spirit, you shall not, what? Fulfill the lust of the flesh. So basically, the Word of God says plainly, if you walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. And the Spirit's sword is the Word of God. He says, how can a young man cleanse his way? And then he answers his own question. By taking heed according to your word. Or taking heed means to pay very close attention to. So let's read it like this. How can a young man cleanse his way? By paying very close attention to your word. To the word of God. But listen, he's not just talking about having it in your mind. He, or he's not just talking about the inspirations that he's spoken to you personally. You know, as I was studying yesterday, he kept throwing these little messages up to me. He kept throwing this stuff up to me. I assume to confirm to me that I'm on the right track with where I need to go. And I could stand here this morning and tell you about that word that God spoke to me, but that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the written word of God. Look how I prove it to you, verse 10 through 16. With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from what? Your commandments. All right, keep that in mind. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O oh Lord. Teach me what? Your statues, or statues are his laws or his rules. With my lips I have declared all the judgments of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies. As much as in all riches I will meditate on your precepts. Precepts are actually a direction, a, a counsel. It's a course of action, a direction to be taken. So he says, I will meditate on your counsel and on your direction and contemplate your ways. I will delight myself in your statues. I will not forget your word. So he talks about commandments. Where do we get the word? Where do we get commandments from? Where did Moses have them on? They were on two tablets and they were written, right? On the, stone. on the stones. We get the commandments from 
from God written to us His statutes or His laws or His rules the same way. The testimonies. Where do we get testimonies from? What God, what God has done for others. Whenever you read Moses and you read Abraham and you read Joseph, guess what those are? Testimonies. He's talking about his written word. And then go back with me again to verse 11. Look, or verse 10 and 11. Look what he says in verse 10. With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. We'll stop there for just a second. You know what he's saying here? He's saying, with everything that's in me, I have looked for you in your written word. I have searched you out. I have prayed for you. I have, I have dug in to find out all that I could find about who you are. And then verse 11, look what he says. Your word I have hidden, or another translation for that is treasured. Your word, whenever, before there were banks, you know what people did with their treasures? They hid them. They buried them. So this is, they used a very similar word with the two. So he's saying here, he says, your word I have hidden or I have treasured it. Where at? In my heart that I may not sin against you. So you know what I hear the psalmist saying right here? Your word I have, I have took it to memory. Your word I have kept it inside of me. You know, it's, it's funny how scripture memory, and I'm glad we did Awana's Awards last week because I'm hoping I can get some of us as adults to get a little more serious about scripture memory. I, it's amazing to me how any given situation I get in, you know what the first thing that comes to my mind is? Scripture. Every time. I don't care what it is. I don't care what I'm dealing with. Every time I get in any situation whatsoever, Scripture comes to my mind. And it is always a scripture that will guide me and direct me in whatever situation I'm in. I don't really ever have to even stop and think about it most time. It just comes to me. Now, it don't do it just because I've memorized it. It does it because I've, I've, I have sealed it to memory. But it's also the power of the Holy Spirit that uses His sword to direct me and to guide me and to kill all the things that do not belong. So how does a young man cleanse his way? How do we walk in daily triumph over sin? By taking heed according to your word. And that would go along exactly with what Paul is saying, that the word of God is the sword of the spirit to kill our sin. And yet, Everything else in the world is more important than reading our Bibles, ain't it? I mean, it is. I'm being straight with you. See, I'm getting ahead of myself. I don't need to go there yet. Number two, the way that the Word of God kills the flesh in us. Number two, the Word of God transforms us into the image of Jesus Christ. A very familiar passage you should be familiar with by now. I preach about it a lot. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. The Word of God transforms us into the image of Christ. See, that word transforms means you've got to be changed into something else, right? I know there's a, there's a movie out, or it's been out for some time, called Transformers. 
And in this movie, these vehicles and all these things, they look like something, but then all of a sudden they will transform into something completely different. And that's exactly what Paul is saying here. He's saying, you may look like this, but what God is trying to do in you is to completely transform you into something totally different from what you actually are. And the way that he does that is starting in verse... Actually, let's go 2 Corinthians 3, starting in verse 16. 15, I'm sorry. Hang on, let me read it. Make sure I'm right before I tell you again. No, start in verse 14. That's where I need it. But their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the what? Reading of the Old Testament. That was important for me to get in. I want you to understand. He's talking about reading the Word of God. The Old Testament it had a veil over it. We couldn't see the fullness of the glory of God through just the law alone. The only thing the law did for us was show us that we are not the image of the glory of God. That we have fallen short of the glory of God. So there's a veil over it. And then he says, because the veil is taken away in Christ. And then verse 15. But even to this day when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. He's talking about people who are still trusting in the law of God and not Christ. Verse 16. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, when one turns to the Lord, you see the glory of God for everything that He is in Jesus Christ. In verse 17 it says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by who? The Spirit of the Lord. And what is the sword of the Spirit? The Word of God. He is transforming you into the image of Christ by showing you all the ways of Jesus Christ in this scripture. Does that make sense? Can you see that this morning? When you stand and you gaze at Jesus Christ, notice, remember when he said, nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, we behold the glory of the Lord as if we were looking in a mirror when we look at Jesus Christ. And all of his ways and all of his words are written down for each and every one of us to stand at any given time we want and gaze at him. And watch it change our lives into everything that God means for us to be. He teaches us how to live for the glory of God and how to die to ourselves by showing us Jesus Christ in the word. Now think about this. In the wilderness when Jesus was battling Satan, all three times, what did he defeat Satan's temptations with? Scripture. All three times, everything Satan brought to him, he used the Word of God. And let me tell you, how many libraries or books have you seen in the wilderness? That tells me that more than likely, Jesus wasn't opening up his Word, searching to find this thing. He had it in his heart. He treasured it. He had it hidden in his mind so that whenever he dealt with these situations, the Spirit used this thing to come out and slay the temptation. And he killed it. And the devil left. He was defeated. But here we have a problem. 
Look with me, if you would, at 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. And this is my last thing that I'm talking about this morning. 2 Peter chapter 2, 1 through 2. You know what? 1 Peter. I wrote the wrong book down. 1 Peter chapter, one, chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. Thank you. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. This is what it reads. Therefore, laying aside all malice, and remember, all these things are fruits of the flesh, and the sword does what? Kills them. He says, therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. God commands us through Peter to desire the word. This is how we grow in Christ. He said desire like a newborn baby. This is amazing to me. Now y'all stay with me, all right? Let me ask you a question. He says to desire it like a newborn baby. I know most of you in here have had some kind of experience with a newborn baby, whether it was your own or someone else's. You've had some kind of experience. How does a baby desire milk? Every three to four hours, right? Newborn baby, even at nighttime, with what intensity do they desire milk? Enough to wake you up at night, don't they? And they desire it and they crave it to the point that they will cry and cry and cry and they will not quit crying until you get up and you bring them that milk. They will not quit crying until they are either satisfied with the milk or they starve. Right? And Peter says, or God says through Peter, I'm going to give you a command. And here's the command. You are to desire the word of God like a baby, a newborn baby, craves and desires milk. Well, I've got a problem with that. That's amazing to me, Nick. God, you want me to desire the word. Well, that's my problem, God. I don't desire your word. If, if I'm a hypocrite and y'all are all holier than thou and you just love and you can't wait to get in it and you read it 24 hours a day, then I'm thankful for you. Praise God. I don't desire it. That's my problem, God. You might as well tell a lame man to walk. Who could do that? Command me to do something that I cannot do. I can't do it, Ronnie. I can't desire what I don't desire. Nick, I'm not God. I can't just create desires inside of me. I don't desire the Word. I desire the TV. That's what I desire. I don't desire the Word. I, I desire uh, uh, things and, 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 and cars and houses and tractors and, and cows and horses. I, I desire things. That's my problem, God. How, how can you... How can you do such a thing to command me to do something that I cannot do? Might as well tell a lame man to walk like he can do that. He looks at a lame man. He says, get up and walk. Did the lame man look back at him and say, I can't, I'm a lame man. Hmm. So that means that there must be something 
that I'm missing, right? He wants me to do something that in and of myself I cannot do and he gives me a demand to crave his word like a baby craves milk. But how? When I don't do it, how is it that you can give me a command to desire what I don't desire, a command to feel longings that I don't feel? Well, it's only wrong to command someone to do something that you know they cannot do unless you have the power to cause it to make it happen in them. Now, how many of you are going to stand and look at a lame man and say, why don't you just get up out of that chair and walk? Anybody ever done that? Why, why don't you do it? Why don't you look at every person you come to in a wheelchair or laying in a bed that can't move, look at them and say, why don't you just get up out of that thing and walk? Why don't you do that? Because it's wrong. It would be wrong, right? Why? Because you have no power to make them walk. This is something you know they cannot do. However, if indeed you possess the power to cause them to do what they cannot do, then it is not wrong to command the lame man to get up and walk. It is wrong for the lame man to look back at this man and say, I can't, I'm a lame man. So what I'm trying to get to you is this. When the word of God commands you to desire to read this word, to desire to study it, it is not the correct response to look back at him and say, I can't. He already knows that you can't. The correct response is to look back at him and say, I will desire your word. Even though I know that I can't walk, because you told me to get up and walk, I will get up and walk. You see where I'm getting at? It's right here. You want to be able to go in and open up this word and just read it you look at him and say Lord I can't read I hate to read you ain't seen nobody that hates to read till you see me I hate to read give me something to read I'd just soon throw it back at you hit you in the head with it can't stand to read oh but God looked at me and said read okay I'll read because I believe that you have the power to make me do what I cannot do on my own. Now this may not mean nothing to you, but it sends chills up and down my spine. This basically is saying that if God says for you to de desire something when you don't desire it, then we just have to trust Him that He must know something that we don't. <laughs> he must possess something that we don't because if not, then He's wrong for trying to tell us to do something that we cannot do and He knows we can't do it. That's wrong. You might as well tell a lame man to walk and nobody can do that. But they did. And they walked. God has given us a power that we often neglect in the gospel. A power. And John Piper explained it best. And I know y'all hear me talk about John Piper a lot. But he's, he's just a great mentor and teacher to me. He explained it best through an old poem written in the 1600s by a man named John Bunyan. He was a Christian poet that wrote many, many poems. And this poem was very short. But listen to what the poem says. Run, John, and work, the law commands. 
but it gives us neither feet nor hands. Stay with me. Let me say it one more time. The poem says this. Run, John, and work. The law commands, but it gives me neither feet nor hands. But far better news the gospel brings. It bids me fly, and it gives me wings. Basically, the poem is explained like this. There is a command from God for us to do, 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 and yet it gives us no ability in the law. It only shows us that God, I can't. But that's exactly where he means for us to be. He means for us to look and see his command and his expectation and for us to look back at God and say, God, we have fallen short and we can't do it. But then faith comes into the picture in the gospel. Far better news the gospel brings. It doesn't just bid us to walk and to run and to work, but it bids us to fly and it gives us the wings and the power to do so. Think about it like this. In the gospel, people say, well, there's, there's no commands in the gospel. The commandments and the law is gone. Wrong. Wrong. Actually, the gospel is harder. Now, stay with me. Actually, the gospel is harder. Think about the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus stepped up and said, you have heard that it was said... Don't murder. But I say to you, not only don't murder, but if you're angry with your brother, guess what? Jesus said, I say to you, don't go out and kill your enemies. Love your enemies. Forgive those who do wrong and despitefully use and persecute you. Pray for them. Love on them. If someone comes to take your tunic away from you, you know what you do? Give him your coat too. If you ask me, I would say that those commands are actually harder than what the law commanded. The only difference is this. In the law, God looked at us and said, run and work. But it gave us no ability to do so. All we could do was stand back and look and realize I've fallen short. I can't do it. But far better news the gospel brings. It bids me go above and beyond the command and the law of God. And it gives me wings. And you know what faith does? Faith starts flapping arms even when you know you don't have wings and you keep flapping arms until you grow wings and you fly. That's what faith does. So when God tells us to desire faith in the gospel, says, I don't desire it, but because you command it, I'm going to start flapping my wings. I'm going to start reading and I'm going to get in this thing and I'm going to crave it like a newborn baby until the day that I finally feel it. Until the day that I wake up and go, I can't wait to get in His Word. I, I can't get enough of it. i got to have it. Because right now we're not there, are you? Are you there? But if He says to the lame man, walk, guess what the right response to do is? Get up and walk. 
If he says to you, desire his word because it is going to give you daily triumph over sin. If he says to you, desire his word because it is going to transform you into the image of my glory. If he says, crave it and cry for it like a newborn baby crying for milk. You say, okay, I'm going after it with everything I got even though I don't feel it because I believe that you have the power to make me feel it. But if you don't believe he has the power, just keep sitting in your wheelchair, keep laying in your bed, stay lame. You can do that if you want to. Or you can hear his command and you can trust by faith that I can desire. I can crave the word of God more than any other thing in this world. And he has the power to make me crave it so I'm going to start flapping my arms until I grow wings and until I fly if God tells us to fly we don't look at him and say I don't have any wings no we start flapping arms until we grow wings because we know that he has the ability to do so if God tells us to pray for our enemies it is not the right response to look back at him and say I can't it is the right response to start praying even when inside you're burning because he has the power to change that. When God says forgive those as I forgive you, you can't look at him and say I can't. No, you start forgiving and you start not holding people accountable until the day that God finally lets his power come in and you don't feel the hurt anymore. <laughs> and guess what? He'll do it. He will do it. When God tells you to do something, it is not the right response to look back at God and say, I can't do it. That is lack of faith. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Finally, it's not about you. It's not about what you feel. It's not about what your condition currently is. It's about believing that he has the power to completely change your condition. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that God is the great I am that can change everything about you if you will just start flapping your arms? If you'll just start running when he says run even though you're lame? If you'll start desiring what he says desire even though you don't desire it? Do you believe that he has the power and the ability to completely change you? And the answer is is you should because he does forget about what you can't do and trust God can do whatever he commands you to do and if God says desire it then desire it if God says crave it then crave it if God says live for it then live for it don't ever quit don't ever stop reading and going after this thing until the day that all of a sudden you've got wings and you go where did that come from all of a sudden, there's a desire inside of you and go, how did I get here? Every other day, I'd come in and I'd cut the TV on. But today, I want to come in and open the Word. What happened? Let me tell you what happened. You started flapping your wings with faith and God gave you wings. And now it's time to fly, baby. It's time to fly because you trusted Him by faith. If you would read your Word this week for money, and most of you said you would, right? $100 a verse. Who's in? 
$100 a verse. Who's in? I'm in. I'm all in. That's right. I'm coming back. I'm going to have, I'm going to have a bunch of this stuff committed to memory when I come back. $100 a verse. If we will read his word for money, his word is far more valuable and to be desired more than money and gold. Look at Psalm chapter 19, verse 10 and 11, my closing verses. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Verse 11. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is what? Great reward. The question is, do you believe it? Do you believe that his word is much more to be valued than gold, than fine gold? Let me tell you, if you'll put in 40 hours a week for a paycheck, <laughs> you've got no idea the reward that God's word can bring to your life. Do you believe that? If you do, this week, a Bible is going to be a great, great thing in your hands. And it is going to begin to give you daily triumph over sin. And it is going to begin to allow the Spirit to give you the transformation into the image of Christ that He wants to give you. So let me ask you the question, what is more valuable to you? Money or becoming like Christ? The Word of God is the sword of of the spirit and it has the power to kill everything in you that don't belong and it also has the power to bring to life all the things that do belong do you desire it do you crave it no you like me let's start flapping our wings and believe that God can give us the power to fly y'all stand with us this morning the altar is open for whatever your need is. Maybe you need that desire this morning and you want to just trust, tell God by faith that, that, um, that, that this morning's the morning I'm going to start flapping my wings until I actually start flying. I don't know what your need is this morning, but I pray that whatever he tells you to do, you'll trust him first and foremost and you'll obey him and walk whichever direction he points.